And I wanted to also let you know that today is a significant day in our church calendar. It's Transfiguration Sunday. So in our church calendar, uh, through the year, we, our church calendar starts with Advent. It's, we're weird. Christians are always strange and a little different. Should be. But we start in Advent, and that begins the, the church year, because we're getting ready for uh, the celebration of Christ's coming. And then after Advent, Christmas, we go into Epiphany when we start looking at the life of Christ, you know, and how it was revealed that this was the Son of God. And after Epiphany, we come to Transfiguration Sunday, which is the last Sunday before Lent. And so this is a Sunday where we, are, we remember this event where Christ went up the mountain with his disciples, and we're going to read about that in a moment. And Christ was transfigured in a way that it revealed his glory to his followers. And then we go into Lent, and we go through this journey uh, of watching Christ endure and suffer through life as a human being, leading up to Holy Week, where we are reminded of his uh, triumphal entry, his Last Supper, his crucifixion and death, and then the highlight of the year, the exclamation point for Christians, is Easter Sunday, the day of resurrection, the day of new life, where Jesus is alive and we can be alive in him. And that's, that's that journey. And then after Easter, we go into another 40 days before the this, this Sunday where we remember Pentecost. The Sunday where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And, and then, you know, you just kind of, you have this highlight and you think, okay, it's tapering off. And then the Holy Spirit arrives and another huge punctuation point for us in the church year. And then through the summer and the fall, we go through what we call ordinary time. So that's how the church year works. Well, today is Transfiguration Sunday. And I like this, and I kind of planned it this way because we've been talking about being transformed. And here we have a vivid, literally a vivid picture of Christ who is revealed and is changed in front of his followers. And so here's the story, and I want to read it to you. Uh, We're going to read this out of Luke's version in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. Moses and Elijah were starting to leave. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, 
This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they'd seen. Now, some of you, as we read through that story, some of you probably are uh, making little connections in your brain to other stories that we've read in Scripture. So one of the obvious ones that some of you have made is the connection back to Jesus when he arrived to be baptized by his cousin John the baptizer. And when he arrived there and he's being revealed, here he is, John has been preaching, he goes, here's one I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. And he is baptized and when he comes up out of the water, the Lord says, this is my son, same kind of word, same kind of, of vocabulary is being used. And it is revealed who he is. And so I just want to suggest to you that part of transformation is revelation. And this isn't a point up there on one of my things. But God transforms us so that he will be revealed through us. That's it. Now, being transformed is a wonderful thing because God always works to transform us into something better than we've been. But the purpose of transformation is not so that, you know, Hink can be, you know, a better looking guy. It's not possible. And I don't, we don't want to go into why that's not possible. Okay, but, but it's not possible. Uh, transformation in my life serves the exclusive purpose that God is revealed. That someone might look at me and go, hey, what's going on with you? That I might go, well, God is at work in me. And this is what that work looks like. And the same is true for you. You are being transformed, church, because God wants to reveal himself through you. And I get to go, wow, God is at work here, and it's wonderful, and it's great, and he is doing good things, and he is saving us every day, all the time, and he is sanctifying us in wonderful ways. So that's why this happens. But, you know, I want to go back a little bit before we get into that, and I want to think a little bit about what happens internally before things are apparent externally. So let's think again about the internal part of transformation. <coughs> Excuse me. Hopefully my bronchial tubes and lungs are going to be transformed here soon as well. But, you know, so when we think about how things happen internally and what goes in and what it looks like when it comes out, um, I kind of like to think about casseroles. Anybody hungry? There we go. I was hoping that would get your attention. Uh, have you ever had this experience where you're at maybe one of our dinners here or you're at uh, a buffet restaurant and you go up and you look at something and it, it looks appealing and it smells pretty good, but you ask yourself the question, I wonder what's in that? Or maybe not just the appearance, but you took some and you took a bite and as you took a bite you go, well that's not what I was expecting. I wonder what's in here. We probably, all of us have had that experience at some point in time. If you haven't, you really need to expand your palate. <clears throat> okay? So we've done this. You know, you go to the Chinese buffet and you see something and you might even have a little description and you take it and you go sit down and if you're like me, you've got a short-term memory problem and you take a bite. What was this? And I wonder what's in here. And usually with Asian food, I can't tell. 
Occasionally I have this experience when I go to Africa and I sit down with some of my African brothers and sisters and eat the food that they put in front of me and I look at it and I have a, a, a struggle identifying what this is and sometimes I take a bite and I go, wow, this is wonderful and I'll ask them and they struggle to explain and sometimes I take a bite and it's not so wonderful. And you go, what is in this? Because I want to avoid it at all costs from here on out. And so we just wonder, you know, but, but think about it this way. That pleasant surprise when you take a bite of something and it is amazingly flavorful and you go, I've got to find out what's in this. So you turn and you go, who made this? And then you'll find out who made it. And then you go to them and you go, what is in that? It tastes so good. What spices did you use? What flavorings did you use? How did you come out with this taste and this flavor? Because I want to know. And, and if you really want to imitate that, you go to them and say, can I have the recipe? And so this thing of taking ingredients that we know and have access to and we put the ingredients together and we cook it or we bake it or we prepare it somehow and then it comes out to be something even more marvelous than just the ingredients. Something amazing to take a bite of. Recently, Kayleen and I, on the recommendation we received from someone else, we went to an Asian market on the east side of town that has a little buffet in the back of the Asian market. And we went through there and we could smell, as soon as you walked in the door, you could smell the food, you could smell the curry. And we went back there and we served up a plate and we sat down. But we asked them, you know, we're, we're brave, but we're not that brave. And so we said, what, what is this? Oh, well, you know, and they'd explain, well, this is curry chicken. Oh, I'll take some of that. And what is this? And they, they explained what these things were. And some of them are things that we don't eat very often, but they looked appealing. And, they, and we each took a little plate, and we sat down, and we started eating. And I thought, this is wonderful. This is great. Kayleen started eating the same thing. And she goes, this is hot, and this is spicy. And so she was a little uncomfortable. And the owner of the business came over, and he sat down by us because we were the only ones in there eating, and we struck up a conversation with this guy, Muhammad, and we started talking to him about this cuisine, and what's in this? This is so good. What? And, and he was trying to fill us in, and we still didn't quite get all of it, but it was a wonderful experience. So you have that experience where you encounter something, and when you encounter it, it's such a pleasant surprise. You want to know what has gone into this, and it's not just about food, but I think more powerfully, it's about people. When we encounter somebody, we go, this person is amazing. There's something about this person that is compelling and attracts me and shows me that they're not just an ordinary person. They're an extraordinary person. And we wonder, what has gone into their life? What has made this person who they are? And so for some of us, you know, we encounter somebody and we realize they had these experiences that not everybody had. They were there at moments in history and they had opportunities to do things and learn things and encounter things. And so now... They're able to speak out of that experience and out of that education, and we go, wow, that's amazing. But I will suggest to you that none of those experiences or education come close to the person who's encountered Jesus Christ and been changed by Jesus Christ. That is more powerful and compelling than any other human experience. And I would suggest to you, if you claim you've encountered Jesus Christ, your life needs to show some evidence of that that's Shows his glory. And that's so we, we, we want people to look at us and go, I want to know what went into the making of this person because this person seems strangely holy.
We want to know what's in there. Now, there are times we don't want to know what's in there. So you know the old saying, nobody wants to know how sausage is made. And I love sausage, and I've made sausage, and I have eaten sausage. I like to eat sausage, and and I will do it. I'll continue to do it. I'm a man of great faith, and every time I see sausage, I think this is going to be good. However, I've lived long enough, and I have a little bit of experience that tells me that's not always true. And I've been around when sausage was being made, and I've been around sausage that had already been made, and I really did not want to partake of it. Or I did, and I would rather not repeat the experience. I grew up with these things when I was a kid. They were hot dogs that were about bun length. I have never seen anything quite like this in the United States. When I met Kayleen, I explained this to her, and she goes, oh yes, we had those when I was a kid. When she actually encountered them, she goes, no, we did not. But these were hot dogs that were bright red. And when I say bright red, I mean like fire engine red. And they were produced in the butcher shops in Africa. I should have got the photo. I could have showed you the photo where we're holding them up. And Kaylee said, oh, I remember when I was a kid, we got hot dogs that were bright red. Then when she went with me to Africa, she looked at these things and she just said, that's not normal. There is no way that's a natural thing. There's no way that hot dog was made the way we make hot dogs. Because it, it really, I mean, it, this, these things could glow in the dark. And... You don't want to know what's in it. But when I was a kid, and kids, you know, ignorance is wonderful for a while. And when I was a kid, we'd go to the butcher shop. Mom and dad would be buying meat. And the butcher would always grab a handful of those, four or five of those hot dogs. And he would wrap them up and hand them to my mom and dad for free, which is also something that should have tipped us off. And we kids, on the way to the car, mom would open it up and we'd each get a cold hot dog and we would snarf those things down. We would eat them down. They were salty. And they were bright red. And now I realize that they were probably packed full of chemicals that I really don't know I could pronounce. You know, that's what it was. And so there's some things we just don't want to know. Okay, let's go back to the way people are composed and built. Because there's some things that go into the building and the making of human beings that is not always pleasant and doesn't really belong there, but it's been there. So we have people around us and we might encounter them because we see them after they've encountered Jesus Christ. We go, this is great. These are wonderful people. And then we come to find out later on that some of these wonderful people have endured horrible things. They've gone through difficult things. And we wonder how in the world is it that you can even live? You can even exist? When I was a teenager... They brought a man to speak at our church. And this was a church we were attending in in Africa. And this man came to speak there. He had survived being a prisoner of war in World War II. I don't remember his name. And my sisters don't remember his name either. But he came to speak. He had been a soldier for the South African forces. And a lot of people don't know South Africa was part of the Commonwealth in World War II. So they sent soldiers to fight alongside the British and he ended up in Europe and he was taken uh, captive. He was a prisoner of the Germans and um, barely survived. And he was taken captive along with his best friend and his best friend did not. But he came back 
to, he survived, he came back to South Africa, and he encountered Christ in that prisoner of war camp. And he told the story of watching his best friend die. He was an incredibly slender man. Small. He was not very tall, but very thin. And we invited him to our house for a meal. We said, why don't you come over and eat with us this evening as he was holding meetings there at our church. And he came to eat with us. Mom put on a spread, just like many of you would have experienced in, in your home if you had someone over like that. <coughs> and when he sat down to eat with us, he said, I can't eat this, but what I can eat, I can only eat a little bit of it. And so he took very small portions. And I, at the outset, I think my mom was a little bit offended that maybe he didn't like her cooking. And we wondered about this too because this is one of our favorite meals. And so us kids, boy, we just, we just were diving in. And as the meal went on and he kept apologizing, he said, I'm sorry, I can't eat very much. And then he went on to explain to us that when he was in the prisoner of war camp, they only gave him starvation rations and usually it was turnips. Now, I, turnips is one of the things I do not enjoy eating. I enjoy lots of things. Turnip is not one of my favorites. And you can imagine on an empty stomach, uncooked turnips would not be very pleasant. And he said, it took a toll on my digestive system. And I just, I've never been able to eat large quantities. And I can only eat certain things that don't upset my stomach. And you realize that this man's hardship and suffering that he had, he had endured at the hands of other people had reshaped who he was. And as I heard that, I, just, I realized that the pain of his story was a pain that would go on for the rest of his life. He would never forget those things. And we might not want to see them. We would not want to experience them. But what God had done with his story and the work of transformation in his life led him to the point where he became a powerful preacher and a compelling figure. And so for some of us, we might not want to come to church and just air all of our dirty laundry and say, you, you know, this has been a horrible week and you, don't, you, know, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. We might not want to talk about that. And for some of us, we might not want to hear about that, but it's part of us. And even those parts of us can be transformed. Scripture tells us that He, Christ, brings Oil of joy where there is mourning and grief. And he turns ashes of something that has been burned and destroyed into something beautiful. He brings beauty for ashes. Scripture tells us that after Israel had suffered seven years of famine and poverty and starvation, that the Lord spoke to them and he said, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. It's one of my favorite passages. When I see us go through hard times, when I see suffering take place, when I see us hurting, I'm reminded that we serve a God who not only transforms, he also restores. He makes great sausage out of bad circumstances. He makes lemonade out of sour lemons. He makes holy people out of broken people. All right, now I've got a little bit of an object. I told the kids I was going to do something with them. So when we think about a beautiful meal and what's in there or some great sausage, what's in there, does anybody know what's in a glow stick? I've got to see if I can open this up here. 
Joel, you're you're in chemistry. Don't eat it. You don't think it's edible? Anybody know what's in a glow stick? There we go. Oh, I gotta shake it, JC says. JC is obviously expert at this. I am not. There we go. You anyone know what's inside that? Anybody want to launch a guess? Well, one of the things that's inside here is glass. That's what breaks. There's two chemicals inside here. And the glass keeps the chemicals separate. And until that glass breaks, they don't react. But once they interact with each other, it reacts and it brightens up. And it's, it's kind of cool. Um, here, Joel, do this one. Oh, Jana, here. I got one more. Jana, you do this one. Break it. Let's see what colors they turn into. Mine's pretty bright and funky. Oh, wow. Joel's is bright. That's, that's pretty impressive. Hold them up there so people can see them. So one of, this, one of the chemicals is just hydrogen peroxide. Um, and then depending on which place you look on the internet, internet, there's some what they call phosphorescent elements. I don't even know what that is. Something phosphorus inside there. And then the other is a form of alcohol in there. So there's two things that, that you know, when they don't meet, it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of like this. It's unimpressive. And so I need some help. I got one more up here. Who wants to help me? Come on up here. Adeline, you were quick. Come up here. Hold that up. Break it. Break it. Shake it. Break it lots of times. Shake it. Check that out. That's, look at that. It's going really cool blue. While you're doing that one, I got 12 of these. Claire, come up here. Your favorite color. I got it. Let's see. These ones make necklaces. Break that one. Break it all the way through. There you go. Come on up here. Charlie, you want one? Let's see here. Those ones are all the same color. Let's get some other colors going here. Oh, I might need some help here. Break that one. Where the other, the other kids took off too early? Oh, okay. Some of the bigger kids need one. I got, I got more. Adeline, you want one of these? These ones make necklaces. So, if you put so here, look. Uh, let's put that on there and then connect it to the other end, huh? Yeah, that one you can put that on. Here, I'll give you a red one. Oh, we're having so much fun here, we may just um, get off track for a little bit. Here you go, Adeline, bust that one open, and there's a little connector for you. Here you go, Clara. See if you can put that together. Maybe your mom can help you. You want me to help you here? Oh, let's get that all broken. Look at that. Wow. And put them on. There you go. Maybe your grandma can help you or your mom. My brother wants a connector. He wants a connector? Let's see if I can find a connector. Here, Stephen, open this up. Who else is there? Linnea, do you need one of these? I thought you, you looked like you were longing for one back there. Okay, well, we got, we got more up here. Felicity's coming. 
All right, Stephen's got some going. You got a connector for Charlie. Here we go. Can you get it together? Want me to help you? Oh, look at her. She can do that. Oh, you here. Let me. I can do it. Okay, you got you. Yours is done. Oh, you guys look great. Now, to be honest, I'm not really sure what's in these. I went on the internet, and of course, you know, everything on the internet is true. There's a connector, so Felicity can get a nice bright orange one. The red one. Okay. And so I went on the internet, I looked this stuff up. I don't really know this, and I, I have some very fundamental understanding of how this works when these chemicals come together, but I don't... I mean, if you really pushed me about it, I can't explain how the molecules in one chemical react with the other one. I don't know what hydrogen peroxide and alcohol do to each other. Quite frankly, I don't care. They just look really cool. I don't always understand how it is that God can take a person with their ability and their pain, with their blessings and their curses, and can somehow... Make those things come together and turn into something beautiful. And quite frankly, I don't necessarily care how God does it. What I really care about is that God does it. I am really deeply concerned that our lives actually are able to show the handiwork of God in a way that shines in the middle of the darkness. When the darkness is all around us, that we stand out, and not just because we're bright, but because we're also beautiful. That's the way God transforms people. Well, we read in this story, we read about Jesus being transfigured. And when he was changed, his face was bright, his clothes were shining. We read about, about Moses coming down from the mountain. And they said that when Moses came down, his face was shining. He had been in the presence of God. They had to put a cloth over his face. And those are physical attributes, but I wonder, are there people who encounter us that go, man, I, I'm not sure I can put up with it. It is so brilliant and amazing what their life looks like that I'm, I'm either having to distance myself and veil that or I'm drawn to it. I don't know how God does that. I don't know how God changed me. I don't know how God changed you, how the Holy Spirit does that work internally, but I am deeply interested in whether it happens or not. How it happens, not so important. That it happens, that's amazing. See, the best things in life are oftentimes things that that remain unseen. The important things are oftentimes the things that, that are not that apparent. The, the important things are the things that are inside here that seem rather dull. But God in his handiwork can make them brilliant. Yeah, you know what? It's really important that the, that dish turns out really well with that recipe you got from the friend. But if you don't use the right ingredients to the right measurements at the right time, It just doesn't work. Fortunately for us, we can be rather blissfully unaware of what God is doing. We can be blissfully unaware of what's happened to other people in their life. But 
when it begins to transform, when it becomes transfigured, it will get our attention. It'll get our attention. Years ago, I was invited, I was a college student in Illinois, I was invited to go to a youth event in Indiana. It was being held at Indiana University. And uh, a group of us from college, we traveled over there. Uh, the, the organizers of the event, it was a lock-in. They were expecting about 600 kids. And so we went. It was held on this big, huge uh, recreational building at Indiana University. It had multiple basketball courts and volleyball courts, and there was a swimming pool. And um, they had a speaker. And uh, people who'd been around Free Methodism a while would remember the name of David Clarity. And David Clarity was the, was the speaker. He was, a, he was an amazing preacher. And, and David got up and he spoke at the beginning of the evening. And then he said, you know, I'm going to hang around with you guys if you want to talk to me, you want to interact. So there was David Clarity walking around with these kids. And he was, he was in his 50s, maybe 60s by then. But there I was and with a bunch of other college students. And we were interacting with these high schoolers. We were, part of the reason we were there was trying to recruit them to come to the college we were at. And um, I was interacting. We were playing some basketball. And as we were playing basketball, <coughs> some of you know I'm not that athletic. And so we were kind of goofing around. And I was joking with the kids that I just met. I didn't know these kids from Indiana, from anybody. And um, I took a breather. I, I came off. It was pickup basketball. Somebody else went in. And I came over and I sat down on the sidelines. And David Clarity walked up to me. And he didn't know who I was. He, he knew my parents, but he, had, he didn't make the connection. He didn't know my name. And he sat down next to me and he extended his hand. He said, I want to shake your hand. And I shook his hand. And I said, hey, thanks for your message. That was really powerful. And he goes, I want to know who you are. Which was like David. He was very engaging personally. And so I told him, well, my name is Hank. I didn't say Hendrick Smithers. I said, my name's Hank. And he, he asked me to repeat that. Of course, you know, I had to explain it. And he said, I've been watching you. I've been watching you out here with these kids. I've been watching you interact and, you know, the way you're carrying on with these kids. And I, and, and I said, oh, you know, and I thought, well, what did I do? What did I say? I was thinking back, you know, did I get fouled and say something I shouldn't have or foul somebody when I shouldn't have? And, it, and he went on to say, he goes, um, I want to tell you something <clears throat> This has stayed with me all these years. He said, Hank, I want to tell you. He said, I see the presence of the Lord in your life. And I sat there. I was, I was a little bit stunned. I knew who he was. He did not know who I was. But he spoke those words. Now, I don't know what he saw. I didn't ask him. But in that moment, it just kind of riveted my feet to the floor. And I was like, you know what? God is in my life and you see it? That was amazing to me. And for someone to confirm that was just uplifting to me. For someone to see that, what I had been unaware of at that moment, I was just out shooting baskets and not doing very well at it, but he spoke something he saw that I had missed. And I sat there and I, I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I, see the, I just see the presence of God in your life. I don't know what he saw, but he saw something I had been unaware of. And I thanked him. And then we sat there and we started a conversation. Then I went on to tell him who I was. And then he looked at me and he goes, okay, wait a minute. And once I told him who my parents were, they had done some meetings together. Mom and dad were missionaries. He was an evangelist. And he put things together. He had been your pastor, Kayleen? 
your his daughter and you went to camp together. So there were all these little personal connections. And, and then he goes, I know who you are. And then David said this other thing that stayed with me. But he goes, you know, even before I knew who your parents were and where you grew up and all these things, he said, I knew who your father was. And I knew what he meant. My heavenly father. And I tell you, it lifted my heart and my spirit and it made me pay more attention because I had just been kind of going along, having fun with some teenagers, blissfully unaware. You see, Christ-likeness <laughs> is often unseen by us, but not by others. And we may not see where God is actually doing the transformational work, but becoming more like Christ is apparent. It, it shows. Years ago, I counseled a lady who had come to our church. She had come out of a, a horribly uh, broken marriage and a terrible divorce, and her kids showed the effects of that and she brought her children with her to church and she was very discouraged with where things were happening and what was going on in her life and she spoke to me one day and she goes I just don't think that I am becoming the person God wants me to be and I turned to her and I said wait just a minute here's what I see and I started to point out some things about how she had changed from the time she wandered her way into our church because she'd been invited by a friend until that moment when she talked to me, I said, when you showed up here, you looked like that over there. And now you're here. And you've changed. Now there's a lot more God wants to do with you. Trust me, she had a lot that God still wanted to do with her. But I could see transformation taking place that she wasn't seeing. And I could point at it and I could say, you know, God is at work here and he's done these great things. And you look like you are the workmanship of God. You are crafted by God. You're not complete. You're not whole yet. But you're headed there. What Christ-likeness means to us is that we are being changed into his image. But here's the thing. In order for God to be revealed, the transformation has to be seen. So, Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus. <clears throat> and they see this incredible thing. It's so incredible, they don't really tell anybody about it. It's so incredible, they go back and they go, people won't understand, they won't believe, and that's okay. They wrote about it later, they wrote about it for our benefit. But at that moment, they, it was just so bizarre. But it was so compelling and so moving that Peter in his knee-jerk, compulsive, blurted-out reaction, says, you know what, Jesus, before Moses and Elijah leave, let's just build some monuments here because nobody will believe us. That's what it amounted to. Let's just put something up so when somebody comes along, they go, I wonder what happened here, and we can go, I'll tell you, this is what happened here. I forgot to do this, but you guys have seen this before, most of you. I wanted to put up a picture of a plaque and you've seen the plaque before, but it says, you know, in 1896 on this spot, nothing happened. And I forgot to get the picture, but you get the idea. Here was Peter, and he said, wait a minute, on this mountain, on this place, something amazing happened. Moses and Elijah came back, and Jesus was there, and they talked to each other. And this cloud came down, and, and we should have some monument to this. 
And Jesus says, no, by no means. Because here's what I think. Jesus isn't interested in plaques. He's interested in people. And what Jesus really wanted wasn't to build a tabernacle or put up a statue. What Jesus really wanted is he wanted Peter, James, and John to go down that mountain, different people. He wanted them to go having experienced something nobody else would understand. He wanted to go down that mountain. You guys go down there. Don't say anything. But they'll know. But they'll know. You know, it's always been interesting to me. Occasionally I experience this as a pastor where someone comes in and goes, Pastor, you probably haven't noticed. And usually I can go, yeah, I have. Or nobody knows about this. And then I go, well, we knew something was wrong. Whether it was a, a young couple that came and told me that their child had developmental disabilities and I just nodded and I go, yeah, that makes sense. Whether it was a young man who came in after he had been caught drinking and driving underage and he came into my office and said, my parents said I have to come and talk to you. And I said, something's wrong, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we don't have to reveal everything because things are revealed in us. So, transformation needs to be seen. When God goes to work, it needs to be seen. But maybe not the components that, that, that go into it. We don't have to air all the dirty laundry. This isn't about how dirty we all were. You know, sometimes in Christian circles, we get into this thing where my sin is greater than your sin. We don't have to do that. And what it took to get me from here to there, you know, for someone who goes, you know, I just went to the altar and prayed and I, poof, boom, you know. But not for me, man. I had to go to counseling. And not for me. I had to use meds. We don't need to know all the components. Maybe all the components are not even revealed to ourselves. That's not necessary to reveal transformation, but what's necessary to reveal transformation to us is this, the result. For transformation to be seen and appreciated, we need to allow people to see what God has done with us. All right? Going back to that casserole, I'm going to tell you that many times I really don't care what went in the casserole, but I really do care how it tastes. I really do care how it tastes. Going back to the glow sticks, I'm really not that interested in the reaction, the chemical reaction between hydrogen peroxide and alcohol, whatever is in there. But I really loved seeing the kids' faces when we started breaking those things. Wasn't that cool? Yes, I know there's painful pieces in all of our lives. But the holy work that God is doing, that result. That is what's really glorious. That's what really reveals him. So don't be tempted to say I have to hide something or I've got to reveal something as much as I've got to become something. I've got to become what God wants me to be. Band, come back up. Sorry for the mess I left. Lead us in singing.